You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Annie Murphy. Annie is the editor of the anthology Gay Genius, which came out from Sparkplug, I guess about a year ago it was supposed to come out, or less than a year ago, ten months ago, um, at Stumptown. Am I right? Yeah, I was supposed to. You're, you guys were going to have like a Gay Genius disco dance party or something, I seem to remember. Right, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, shoot, can I talk about that for a sec? Yeah, go ahead. About what happened? Because <laughs> um, I, I believe in some, some magical things coming and intervening, and I was printing that at a time that, that the Woo folks call Mercury in retrograde. You heard of this? No. Where Mercury appears to, to go move backwards in the sky. And for three weeks, supposedly you're not supposed to sign any contract do any sort of, you know, communicating, important communications, and then things go wrong with computers. So I had uh, done, like, six proofs with the printers before finally saying, okay, go ahead, press the button, print the 2,000 copies. And uh, and the it when they came back, it was a day or two before Stumptown. We were going to have the party the night before Stumptown kicked off. Um, and... I flipped through the book and saw immediately that something weird had happened, like a ghost in the machine type thing where where they had replaced, like, they had put several of the pages from the biography page in and inserted it into a person's story. And, uh, and it just happened to be somebody that I'd recently broken up with, her story. And I was like, this is a good work. <laughs> and I had a total meltdown at the printing place. So we had to postpone the party for two weeks out we still had the party and it was still really fun and we had the books but it was sort of the my my worst nightmare as a control freak handing something finally handing something over to someone else and so it wasn't entirely available in Stumptown uh, Dylan had some copies that he was showing people I remember looking at a copy um, oh did you oh yeah. cool yeah uh, I was hanging out with Jen Vaughn a bunch at Stumptown that year oh, and she sweet. was so yeah. excited about the dance party and was so bummed oh, when it I got know. canceled. That's right. Totally. Yeah, Jen Long's awesome. She's a sweet pie. And we were doing a Kickstarter for um par- partial funding of Gay Genius and she really helped out a lot for getting the word out and stuff. So Nice. Salute. She is a promoter extraordinaire. Yeah, yeah she's good at it. Learn a thing or two. Now you went to CCS. Um, were you yeah. one of the earlier classes there? Um, I was the third class. Okay. And I went so the third year that they were doing it, and uh, they call it the weird class. <laughs> I guess some things went went differently than they'd anticipated that year and um, yeah at the risk of saying too much it was an interesting year and um, I knew that I could only be there for a year financially and stuff so I kind of made the most out of my eight months there as possible and had like a really an overall like overall it was fully worth it you know getting to have the experiences I had there and you know the time for the first time in my life to actually spend like finishing a 
a short, long comic, you know, mm -hmm. there. So. What had you been doing with your work before you went there, and like, what drove you to want to go and make this kind of investment in your cartooning? Yeah, well, um, I had been mostly doing writing zines and stuff for a while, and I had some time on my hands because I had gotten on disability and been on disability for about ten years now. And uh, I had a lot going on in my brain, a lot of things I wanted to get out on paper. And, you know, I grew up in Portland, and so zine stuff was sort of like, it wasn't new to me, but I was sort of late in the game with it. I, I was reading a lot of zines from people, like a, a lot of like the Riot Girl sort of distro zines got passed down to me and stuff from other people's collections. and. Um, and I was pretty into reading them, like not so much like mini comics, although they, like usually the zines that I was into would have comics in them already. And, um, and then I decided to write my first zine in like 2003 or something, and it was about like the zines that I was writing at that time were like sort of activist-driven writing about mental health and sort of the psychiatric industry and pharmaceutical industrial complex and all these things and and um, sort of how to uh, how to you know find alternative methods of support in activist communities and all kinds of things like that so I had a couple two or three zines that were about that and that I would distro through like the punk distros and stuff and um, and I didn't like draw in them but like pretty much growing up I liked to write and I liked to draw and so the zines I would mostly collage and I was really into like them looking really good even though the point kind of was the words mm -hmm. and it wasn't until like I think 2005 or something that somebody was like you need to do comics like do you, do you know this like have you ever done comics are you going to when are you going to do comics and so uh, I got like a assignment from a friend because we had this this group of artists that would meet um, in Portland, like a, a group of queer um, artists sort of sharing similar like political beliefs and stuff, like very different um, genres of art, but we would all get together and meet uh, once a month, and we still do that, and a lot of cool stuff has come out of that group, but one of the things was that somebody was like you need to write comics, read this book, and then they handed me this Gamma Cloud book, you know, the book. <laughs> and then, um, and then I think I did my first comic in uh, 2006, like an actual story, which was about uh, this um, huntress woman living in the mid, like, like in the 1850s around, who like lived as a man that she could make a living and stuff and it was just like a six maybe an eight page comic um I took like a like a non-credit class at the at the art school here like for the continuing ed just cause, like it was a graphic novels class because I just I kind of need structure for myself or else I just get a little lost and like I need the pressure of deadlines to actually finish things so I had all these things I'd never finished, and so that was the first, you know, comics project that I finished. 
Who was it that taught that class? Um, oh my god, I'm forgetting his name. This guy, he goes, he sets them down a lot. Oh, and Neil Scorpin, that's his name. Okay, I don't know. Neil, N-E-A-L, Scorpin, yeah. So I know there's a lot of different cartoonists that are teaching courses there. I know Dylan Williams was for a while. Yeah, yeah, Dylan and I taught a class together a couple of years ago through the that PRC, or it's the Independent Publishing Resource Center, um, which is this rad organization here that has kind of all you need to like make zines and stuff, and it was started by um, a couple people, Chloe and another woman, I can't remember who, but they have like a zine store down below. I think they just celebrated their like 10th anniversary recently, and um, it's pretty cool because it's been like, they've been you know, gaining more funding and more interest and they got to you know uh, start this comics and creative writing certificate program for adults recently and then I got to be involved in that which is cool now I'm jumping around <laughs> it's okay <laughs> um, so you seem pretty interested in tales of the past like the you mentioned the one story you did about woman in the 19th century and then also your story in the gay genius anthology um, is also historical in nature uh, but mm -hmm. you also talk about doing zines which sound very modern um, and of this time do you have like it's I don't know where I'm going at with that like it's you seem to have a lot of different interests at once it's true this is true and I've noticed, you know, because I'm not, like, the best promoter, a lot of times people will just know one thing that I did. They'll be like, oh, yeah, you wrote that zine, and you were that person that did that. Or then somebody will be like, oh, you, you do that, that tarot, you know, the tarot deck, the tarot collective, and it's, but they won't know I do comics and stuff. But but as far as the, like, um, the historical stuff and, like, this comic that I made when I was out at Vermont, I still live, and like got the Zurich grant to to fund or to publish that. Like that's another like true you know research biography of a woman um, who was a spiritualist. And um, what I guess I went from being like super literal and blatant about my kind of identity politics, and like like I kind of went through this phase where I wanted to sort of retreat back into like keep my personal personal rather than public for a little while and then when I started to do comics and stuff I realized that there was no way to really do that that like anything I did was going to be political somehow and personal somehow so mm -hmm. I and I was I'm also just like obsessed with history and like unknown people that I've never heard of that have kind of incredible lives and just I feel like comics lends itself really well to recreating those things um, and I don't think that there's any way to do it that's not through like, a subjective lens you know so the stories that I that I the, the people that I choose to write about usually have something very in common with my life and and for me, I feel like sometimes I'm secretly talking about myself, 
but um, a lot of most people that read it know that it's not secretly. It's just they know why I'm interested in those stories and why I'm telling them in the way that I am. So I don't pretend to be like objective at all with mm-hmm. any of that stuff. But um, but what I really like yeah, so, about so, that particular story, um, including that in the anthology. Um, and we should actually probably jump into it because I'm kind of unpacking a bunch of stuff before we actually talk with the anthologies about is the fact that you're kind of giving this um, history in a very modern thing like uh, a lot of the folks are involved in the book talk about their own identity their own sexuality growing up um, and what you're doing is kind of inserting the story that gives a, a larger history to it mm-hmm. to, to what yeah. folks are going through now. Yeah, sort of like a contextual, like, yeah, um, this is how it is nowadays, this is how it was then, or that kind of thing. That, like, um, yeah, I mean, I had conceived of the, like, the anthology first off as, like, a way to promote a lot of badass artists that I knew that mostly did zines and, like, really small edition art-type stuff. People coming from, like, DIY world. And there's something about coming from punk and, like, DIY and stuff that it's, like, people are, like, allergic to ambition and allergic to um, this idea that, like, I don't know, like, that their work is sort of worth more than just 40 people seeing it, you know? I mean, and some people, that's just that's just what they want to do, you know? It's just mm-hmm. about making this stuff, but... Anyway, so the, initially, it started as that, and um, but people were kind of wanting more of a theme, so I told people the theme would be history, and they could interpret that in any way they want, you know, like fictitious history or family history or history of, of you know, a particular person. But... Um, but and I wasn't sure who all would like. I, I kind of handpicked the people that I wanted to ask to be in the in the in the anthology, and then I asked all those people to ask, you know, to let me know if there's people they knew that would be appropriate for it. And um, and three of the stories that I had envisioned um, sort of wove together. And it's not obvious, I don't think, in the book, but um, but. I had read about the um, Babe Bean, who is the character that I did that, that I'm writing the story about in the first installation is in the anthology, the mm-hmm. genius anthology, and there will be more installations. But um, Babe Bean was somebody that I read about in a in a queer history book called Hidden from History. Um, has a little tagline. I can't remember what it is, but um, somebody had written a chapter. About uh, about passing women, as they were called at the time, which like we would maybe now call like transgender people, like uh, like transgender guys, particularly like women that you know lived as men, either so they could like have a wife or so they could have a job or just all number of reasons. And um, but the story of Babe Bean, you know, there was like maybe eight stories told in this history book I was reading. The story of Babe Bean seemed really like it, it stood out, like it was unique, and um, there was some different stuff going on about Babe Bean. I want to find out more about him. And uh, and you could kind of tell that the author was also 
really intrigued by this story in particular just because of the weight that they gave it compared to the other stories. So I looked into the author and found out that the person who had written that um, that passing women part of this queer history anthology was um, was a queer historian named Lou Sullivan who he's a tr- he's a trans man so FDM trans and uh, and he basically like when he died in the 80s donated all of his he was like an obsessive archivist he donated all of his journals and things to um, to San Francisco um, gay and lesbian like archives that's kind of like how it started up is with his collection of stuff when he passed on so the more I read about him I was like dang this guy is interesting he's had a crazy life he's done all these crazy things he made it so that you know um well, one really significant thing that he did was he was advocating for, uh, for like at the time, a psychiatrist. If you wanted to have a sex change or if you wanted to transition, like, like physically, you needed to have a psychiatrist. It's okay. It's still pretty much the same, but yeah. at that at that time, at that time, you had to be transitioning to be in a heterosexual relationship. So if you're like a a guy, a trans guy, and you're transitioning and you are a homo, you know, date other guys. At the time, that was, like, illegal. And so, Lou Sullivan, this historian, was also an activist and made it so that they reversed that. Um, and then Lou Sullivan ended up dying of AIDS in the 80s. And, um, and so, when I realized that his story was so important, and he had written a biography about Babe Bing, and I got to go into the archives in the San Francisco Public Library and, you know, go through all of his notes about Babe Bean, which is, like, that's just, like, one of my favorite things to do ever is just, like, Sherlock Holmes-style, like, totally. trying to figure out things that, like, see things that maybe he didn't see or, you know, because he had told the story of Babe Bean through his lens and I wanted to tell it through mine. But, um, so, long story short, this is a long story, but... Um, <laughs> it's interesting, though. I... Uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, not, I'm glad, not just to me, but um, uh, but for for Gay Genius, like in the very beginning, I kind of assigned um, my best friend Cleo, who's like my partner in crime. Like we do a lot of projects together. Cleo, Reese, Sadie. Um, I was like, Cleo, I want you to do a story about Lou, you know, because Cleo was living in in uh, San Francisco at the time and had access to all of like Lou Sullivan's like personal um, diaries and stuff. And I was like, I want you to go. Right, you know, a fic, you know, it can be fictional, but like, so, so this, there's a story in there about this, um, the first meeting of trans guys or trans people, um, led by Lou Sullivan. It's one of the stories that's in Gay Genius, and a lot of the, um, the words and the dialogue Cleo took directly from Lou's, um, you know, uh, diary, personal journal, journals, and so, it's kind of like this, this situation where, like, it's showing the different, um, just the different context, context and cultures that, like, trans people over the last century have been, have been in, you know, like, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff in that, in that story seem almost archaic at this point, like, for me, where it's like, I'm living in a community where, you know, a lot of that stuff's out on the table, and, like, now there's new challenges, you know, or whatever, but it's just kind of interesting to trace it back 
And, uh, I found yeah. I've, in that particular story, I was really surprised about the, um, the 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 transitioning where the one man that was having problems, and you were touch, touching this before about the uh, depending on what your sexual interest is and how that affects your transition. And that surprises me being like 1986 the story takes place in that being relatively recent and still being a problem as far as personal's right. tr personal choice in the matter right, like right. why should that affect it I mean I know lots yeah. of trans people in Vancouver and I would never think like there there should be a challenge to to that because of this other factor that's a different factor than identity right <laughs> right Exactly, exactly. And I think I'm just very interested in the ways that those perceptions change over generations and yet are kind of important to, like, know, you know, that even existed or whatever. So, and, I mean, some of the stuff in the Big Bean, like, I used mostly all dialogue from newspapers at the time, and it kept blowing me away just the way, you know, that they were talking about this stuff. And it didn't seem that long ago. And then also some of the ways they were talking about it seemed really modern, too. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just... That, that's really... That's it's just the way <laughs> the dialogue goes where... I don't know how, what the words I'm looking for is. It's just the ways of understanding things or the expectations of understanding kind of go up and down like a... kind of like a wave in this weird curve. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I don't know, I think there's something about comics that just taps into this weird space-time continuum where it's like, you can, you're kind of blending, you're kind of pl fucking with time, you know, as well as, like, fucking with, like, you know, depicting things in space, you know, on the page or whatever. Um, Art Spiegelman has some cool quotes about his beliefs of comics as as working with time, you know, and just... Linda Berry too, you know, just about memory and things like that, and how they just kind of lend themselves to almost like there's almost some like X Files like physics thing happening where it's, <laughs> you feel kind of like it's overlapping, but I don't know. that's my experience at least.
getting out of hand On the tenth floor down the back stairs Into no man's land Lights are flashing, cars are crashing Getting frequent now I've got the spirit, lose the feeling Let it out somehow Why don't you tell me a bit about the um, the greater idea of what you had as far as putting this anthology together, Gay Genius? Um, because we've kind of been talking about bits and pieces of it, but yeah, we're we're not talking about like the whole picture of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, while I was at, I guess it kind of started while I was at um, CCS in Vermont, um, the cartooning school, and there were a couple people that were visiting artists that had won the MacArthur Genius Grant, and um, or that's what they call it, also known as like MacArthur Grant. I don't know. And they they kind of tap people on the shoulder and give them five hundred thousand dollars for being a genius. And um, two people had come that visited that had won this award or whatever, you know. And I was like. Sort of, I really started thinking about this concept, this idea of genius, and um, one of my like teachers who I really respect a lot, uh, James Thurm, was saying in class, he was saying, you know, you can't use that word genius lightly. You know, there's only geniuses are like few and far between. And I was like, totally disagreed with him. I was like, I feel like, you know, if you look at the definition of genius and what it means, like a lot, you know. The IQ part is just, you know, one sort of part of it, of the definition. And even that included, I was like, well, I feel like a lot of my friends are geniuses. And we, I was writing letters back and forth with somebody who was using the term gay genius just to describe things that she liked, you know, that gay people happen to do mm-hmm. as being gay genius. And, uh, and then 
I was playing poker with one of the genius guys, you know, and, like, I beat him in a few rounds, and I was like, okay, so you're the genius, and, you know, I was just being kind of cheeky or whatever. I didn't say it to his face, but but it definitely got me thinking. And um, and then also just uh, that there were a lot of, there. I mean, there are a lot of, like, gay comics anthologies out there. Um, I don't know if I would say a lot. There's a few. There's, like... Yeah, I... It's actually like I was, one of the things I was thinking of when going through this is it's pretty underrepresented. Right, right, and like um, you know, like even back in like the underground comics when that was starting with you know in San Francisco and New York and all that stuff in the seventies, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of those guys were pretty pretty homophobic, and I think it wasn't until sort of Trina Robbins that there's like she was the first wanting to put, like, a gay character in her comics or something like that. Her and, and uh, uh, S. Clay Wilson. S. Clay Wilson? Really? Yeah, he had, uh, um, and Trina apparently is on record of saying her appreciation of his, um, kind of, God. how he treated his characters. I'm trying, <laughs> my words aren't working today. Right. Um, I mean, everyone was the same. Everyone's equal. I mean, it's this brutal, horrible world where it's just nothing but violence and sex. Um, yeah. But everyone was kind of equal within it. So, yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to look, look that up. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so, yeah, the, I mean, I feel like the, the gay comics has always has been kind of the underground of the underground, you know? And... Mm-hmm. Um, same, I, I believe, like, about, like, I don't know, just this, I don't know, I was starting to get frustrated in class, in comics class, about, like, in our story, like, our classes that were, like, histories of comics, because I felt like, I was like, there must be more than this, you know, there must be other people um, that have been doing comics, and that whole idea of who tells the history, and then, like, the few and far between, like, African-American comics artists, you know, and then I... I started looking into that and realizing that there was hundreds and hundreds of like newspaper, like like uh, there's this there's this website, um, Pioneering Cartoonists of Color. It's an amazing website, just like um, documenting all the black cartoonists that were working, you know, from the 20s on up. And most of those were in black newspapers, newspapers and stuff. And that kind of stuff, it just gets left out of like the mainstream comics history altogether, you know. So. Mm. I feel like I feel like um, gay comics, you know, it's this idea of the underground of the underground, you know, like even the, and I feel like it's still kind of like that, like, and uh, nowadays where it's like there's the Indian alternative scene, you know, and then there's these like things that are like, whoa, I don't know, I don't know if we're going to stock that or I don't know if we're going to review that, you know, and it's usually has like, I mean, it's kind of an homophobia. Odd... There's this odd balance where the t- one of the top selling um, cartoonists is queer, and then there's yeah. this gap below. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that I mean, you know, this was a like I had started to come up with idea for the anthology like a couple years after Alison Bechdel's book came out, and when I read that book, it just completely blew my mind because I was like, somebody's writing a book like this and it's getting this kind of attention. You know, it just—I felt like it was a total game changer, in in a lot of ways, and um, and so so 
so I was thinking about, you know, the comics anthologies that were gay comics anthologies, um, Juicy Mother and, like, Boy Trouble and things like that, which I totally appreciated. And, but I wanted something that was, like, I just wanted, like, a bunch of people that I knew to be in a book <laughs> together. <laughs> and, and I wanted it to be, like, queer comics, you know, and I wanted it to be, like, I wanted to prioritize <clears throat> like queer people of color and trans people and and disabled people. So there's this idea of identity politics that I was like, I want it to be more than that. I want it to be seen as, you know, just like as people telling their stories, you know. But um, but I had a specific idea of like what I wanted it to be. And so then I, I kind of came up with a list of people that I would want along with my friend Cubby who's going to uh, – school with me that year at CCS, who's also in the anthology, Cubby Bear, brilliant cartoonist, and um, we came up with his dream idea, but it wasn't until, like, maybe a year later that I actually started, you know, asking people if they would, if they would want to be in it and stuff like that, and it was around the time, like, uh, well, there was this point when I asked Dylan if he would publish the books. We had, like, been becoming good friends and um, and taught the class together and stuff, and I was getting all nervous, and I was like, is this something you would, you know, you would publish? And he, he said immediately no, because he didn't do anthologies. But then I was like, well, Edie Fake's going to be in it, and <laughs> Lee Relvis, who used to go by Dwayne Slightway, who were both I knew, like, Dylan was big fans of, and so he thought about it for a while, and then he came back and was like, okay, I'll do it, but you got it. <laughs> He's like, but you got to take, I'm, I'm just, I'm publishing it, you got to do all the editing, you got to work with all the um, contributors, because I guess there had been sort of a a fluke that happened with the second Orchid book, which I hope will eventually be published. But do you know the anthology Orchid that they did? Yeah, the one with the, with the David Lasky Raven story in it. Yeah. Well, there's a fabled second one that's never come out, which um, I don't know if I'm dropping some kind of rumors or something. But um, anyway, maybe it'll come out someday. Week, maybe. week. Um, <laughs> nudge, nudge. But so he agreed to do it, and then I thought it was just going to be like a little zine, and I was looking at like Austin English's uh, Windy Corners anthology as sort of like a, a prototype or an idea of how it could look. Because mm-hmm. I really like that anthology too, and um, and then I realized it was getting much bigger. It's going to need to be in color, and I offered to try to raise a chunk of the money to do the Kickstarter to donate to the printing costs, because otherwise it was going to be way over budget and stuff. And um, like around that time, like right before that, there was a point where I was like, I actually don't think this book is going to happen. Like. I really don't see the possibilities of this happening because, I don't know, I just hadn't worked on a project that big before and, like, being totally broke myself at the time, it's just, like, the idea of, like, putting that much money into something that is just this thing, you know, it started to seem overwhelming, but, um, but, like, right around that time, all of these, uh, all of these, like, they started publicizing all the gay suicides of the young kids, do you remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it still happens or whatever, but um, there was this point, like, where 
on the internet. It was getting a lot of publicity every week. There was a new like 14 year old kid who was who had killed himself from being bullied, like gay bash and stuff at school. And there was starting to be like public service announcements with like Ellen and like a bunch of famous people being like, "Don't bully kids" or whatever. And it was starting to be this big media thing. And then I was just thinking, I was like, "It's just so important to see." yourself represented in the media in a way that's not exploitative and a way that's not you know I don't know just like something relatable or, what's that? Relatable? Relatable yeah totally and not like I mean just, there's just so much mess in the media now it's just like fat phobia or like you know the gay character always has to die in the end and like you know just things like this and so for me I was like um we had also already talked, like, as a group about dedicating the book to uh, an artist who was a friend of a lot of the people in the book who had um, taken her own life uh, around the time when I started asking people to be in Gay Genius. And so it just seemed like very, like, something that had to happen, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it was just right at this point where I was like, maybe this isn't realistic, and then I just started to, like, got just a lot of messages from the world to just push it forward, and, and uh, you know, the money will come, or whatever, you know, like, feel the dreams, shit. So, um, yeah. So the money came. Of, yes, the money did come, so the Kickstarter did you did you succeed in the Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah. Um I I didn't even think you know, I hadn't it didn't even cross my mind to like use it for that until someone mentioned it to me and then and then I thought, Okay, I'll do this. You know, I've got like what, like two hundred friends on Facebook. If you get two hundred people to pay for a twenty dollar book, that's four thousand dollars, that's what I need. And then I'll like realized really quickly after I launched it that it was going to be much harder than that, mm-hmm. and um, it was very challenging because most of my friends like don't really use the internet that much. So, and I don't have like a live journal. I don't have like a very. It was it was pretty much the most public I'd been on the internet in my life, and so that was like it was hard. It was hard, like you know, writing emails and basically begging people for money for this book. Wow, well, I'm broke and struggling to make ends meet, and you know, it's just a, a lot of like class shame came up, and and I just had no idea it was going to be that complicated. <laughs> but but it did make it in the end. We got like two hundred dollars over, so but it wasn't one of those things that it's like, you know, oh, twenty four hours they got their they got their money or whatever. You know? Yeah, like the the woman anthology. The what? The woman the anthology. anthology. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't they get like way over? They got way, 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 way over. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> I hope it goes to something something awesome. Hopefully. But, One can hope. Yeah.
so the work in the book, um, tell me about the importance of, like, having a really diverse representation of, of queer community within the book. Um, because it's not specifically, it's not a gay book, it's not a lesbian book, it's not a trans book. Um, it's yeah. very overarching. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, because I think it's, I think it's accurate sort of depiction of, of life, and I have heard this thing from actual publishers over and over again, and I've heard experiences of other people trying to get published over and over again, if they're telling a specific kind of story from a specific standpoint that's not, you know, I'm just going to generalize, it's not like straight, white guy, like, you know, with a problem, you know, sort of standpoint, a lot of people are told there's no audience for it, you know, and there's, I've heard this over and over again, and I just don't, I don't believe that, I feel like, you know, if the people with the money decide there's an audience for something, they make an audience for something, you know? <laughs> and, and like, teaching with Dylan, that was a big a big thing that he and I uh, really um, jammed out on, is this idea of, like, don't do something that you think certain people are going to want to, you know, read. Like, find out what exactly you want, your, the weird shit that you want to do, and do it, like, with all of your heart, and there will be people out there that see that and are like, oh, my God, this is what I've been waiting to see, you know? So that was kind of, like, what we would tell the people, you know, students in the class and stuff along those lines. It's like, yeah, you can, you know, learn a lot from mimicking your favorite, like, you know, Jack Kirby or, like, what's-his-face with blankets and stuff, you know, like, yeah, try to do that. But, but the things, I mean... It seems like the graphic novels and stuff that have really exploded are the people that were like, I don't know why I'm doing this crazy thing. I'm going to spend 8 to 11 years doing it. I don't know if anybody's going to read it. And then it turns out to be like Mouse and like Fun Home and Persepolis and stuff. And if you look at all those books, like those books are about like surviving some gnarly shit, you know? And like, um, I don't know, I feel like comics is particularly... Uh, suited for telling stories that don't get told in mainstream media. Like, um, I don't know why that is exactly, but, like, I probably wouldn't, like, to be honest, have picked up the book about the Holocaust, like, like yeah. I did as easily as I picked up Mouse, you know? Mm -hmm. And I bet, I bet, like, so many people wouldn't have picked up some book about, like, some neurotic lesbian and her relationship with her dad, like, if it wasn't a comic, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> In fact, so, I'm sure there are plenty of books like that we haven't read. What's that? I'm sure there are plenty of books like that we haven't read. Oh, yeah, lots, lots. If you ever been, have you ever been to Powell's in Portland? Yeah. <laughs> they got a whole, a whole rows of them. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, yeah, so, I mean, and I just, yeah, I really wanted to, a book that looks cool in a comic shop a gay on the cover. <laughs> I really wanted that. <laughs> and I wanted the thing, Dylan would tell me about this, it's funny because he was going to TCAF and he was a, with, with Tom Neely, his best bud, and 
they were really afraid that they were going to get stopped at customs because of gay genius because there's like penises in it and it says gay on the, on the front and um and I, and then I was like and he was like we're going to do it we're going to we're going to make it we're going to get these things over the border and I was like I hung up the phone I was like man that is solidarity right there these two like <laughs> straightish guys like risky what's that he is an ally <laughs> he is for real for real serious allies for so many people but um but anyway he had told me about like at the the first day he said all these guys like went straight up to gay genius and they picked it up like they were really excited about it and they looked at it for a couple seconds and then put it right down and walked away because <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cover by Edie Fake like who can resist Edie Fake yeah um, oh Edie's amazing what's that? he's amazing his last book just he's amazing. blew my mind yeah yeah any yeah anything he, everything he touches turns to gold <laughs> brilliant weirdo yeah um for sure uh but uh but yeah so so he was telling me about this and then he's like but the great thing was you know one or two people bought the book that day or like excited about it and then the next day all the books sold you know so there had been like this initial like fear and reservations about being seen reading this book with a gay on it you know but the, by the time I guess word had spread and then they sold the rest the next day so it's just kind of funny yeah. well I mean it's uh, and, and kudos to TCAF because it is one of the more kind of open and friendly conventions in that kind of aspect I've heard yeah. I've heard that Toronto is the most racially diverse large city in the world Vancouver's probably pretty close yeah, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I would think. Any... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. No, it's it's funny. Is there good shows in in Vancouver? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No There's uh yeah no comment. Um, there someone's starting up something, but I don't want to commit to any comment because this is their first year doing it, and so yeah, we'll see how yeah. it goes. Um. Hopefully it yeah. goes well. Yeah. But We're... yeah, um, what's that? No, go ahead. Oh, no, you. <laughs> I was wondering, um, where do you kind of see yourself going with your cartooning from here? Do, do you want to do more anthologies, or do you want to kind of focus on the history work? Well, I really want to focus on the history work, but um, there is this project that... Uh, Um, there's a project that I started like five years ago with a group of friends called the Collective Tarot and um, we all wanted a tarot deck that we could use but we didn't like any of the tarot decks that were out there and so we decided to make one of our own we thought we were just going to make it for like 30 friends but we decided we just spent a year studying the tarot and like um, re uh, renaming some of the cards and replacing some of the magical images. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the tarot or how it works. A little bit. They've got like cups, wands, swords, and um, what's, what's the other one? Cups, wands, swords, pentacles, or discs. And we were like, we wanted to replace it with uh, bones, bottles, feathers, and keys, like things that you collect and find. Anyway, we did this epic project and we thought that it was going to be sort of small and we were just going to screen print a few. But we ended up making 
500 decks, and then the 500 decks ended up selling in two months, and then we had to figure out how to do it a second time, and we did 750, and then those ended up selling really fast. Wow. And then that was two years ago, and in the last year, we've had, like, so many requests for the deck people have seen it or their therapists use it or this or that it's been like I had no idea could never have comprehended how big it would have gotten just from doing that small of runs but part of it is that we involved a lot of different artists in the creation of the deck so uh, you know a deck is structured like a like a deck of playing cards you could read the tarot with a deck of playing cards but but then the tarot has the extra cards that are like death and, um, you know, yeah. the devil and the ones that people see. So we had the a different artist do each one of those cards. And then one artist each do the suits. So there was this continuity. And um, anyway, so just, just through word of mouth, like, we sold these. And we're gearing up for another run of it um, because there's all just the pressure of people breathing down our throats. It was not really what I planned to be doing with my time right now, but it seems like that's that's where things are going. And um, and that's my other my other passion is magic and the ways that images, um, just images and magic and the history of images and the ways that images tell a very different story of like Western civilization than words do. And I think that. Like my theory on comics is that it's not just words plus images. I think it's um, I think it's oral history plus graphic narrative. I think that that's why so many people are drawn to telling their own stories through comics and stuff. This is a long story. I'm going off on a tangent. Well, there's but, something very uh, proletarian about comics. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's because it's always been that way. Like people who couldn't read, which were most of the people up until, you know, I mean, the printing press started a lot more like Europeans reading or whatever. It was just like people, there weren't really that many people who could read for the last, you know, like up until a couple hundred years. And, but anybody could look at a picture, you know, and figure out what was going on. So, um, I also think that there's a way that pictures can tell secret stories, like, you know, just all the stuff you hear about. Michelangelo hiding in the Sistine Sistine Chapel and just, uh, I don't know, a Rose Coast mural that he drew at Dartmouth that's kind of a a fuck you to colonialism at at this, like, higher institution that was started as, like, an Indian school or whatever. Anyways, um, I think it's really, really powerful stuff, and uh, my, um, my personal stuff that I'm working on is finishing the Babe Bean book, and I'm also writing a story that's I've been writing for about four years. It's going to be like a, a full-length graphic novel about tracing the history of my family back um, 400 years and figuring out why we're so fucked up. <laughs> uh oh, for anybody who's listening. What's that? That sounds amazing. Thanks. I just realized my mom told me she wanted to listen to this. I wasn't going to tell her. Okay, Donna, sorry. Um, <laughs> now you know. Hi, Mom. That's out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, the internet generation. I, I think was just talking I, with somebody. What's that? I think everyone knows their families are fucked up, including all the members yeah, of the right. family. Isn't everybody? Yeah, totally. 
but um, yeah, so uh, it involves lots of research of lots of different points in history that I get really excited about, but it's also hard for me to know when I start drawing, get my head out of the books. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then the other thing is there's this free free comics anthology that Sparkbook does every year. Uh, it was called like Nerd Burglar in the past, and like I don't know Bird Hurdler or something like that. Yeah. Do you ever see those? Yeah. Well, yeah, I get them every year. I love Sparkbook oh, cool. stuff. Oh yeah, so good. Well, um, me and a few other folks are going to be doing the or in the one this year, so. I have to have that done nice. uh, this month. So, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, I really, I'm really excited about focusing on like my own stuff, but it seems like the world is telling me I have a little bit more work to do with this collaborative stuff. Um, but that just might be me procrastinating. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something else to do. Yeah. And something I've. Uh, I'm too much of a victim of myself, just distracted yeah. by flashing lights. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat. To, yeah, to chat with me today, Annie. Uh, reminder, folks, I'm talking to Annie Murphy, and Gay Genius is the anthology published by the very, very fine, kind folks at Sparkplug Books, or is it Sparkplug Comics? Sparkplug Comic Books. Sparkplug Comic Books. Yeah. yeah. Totally. There we go. Thanks so much, Annie. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
Thank you.